0: of the city of God. Psalm 87 is a a psalm of Zion, and it's also a very evangelistic psalm that looks forward to the New Testament calling to present the gospel to the whole world. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This, This psalm is one of the collection of psalms from the sons of Korah. And it has three actions. First, a description of God's love for the city of Zion in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, a description of the cities of Zion, the citizens of Zion, among, uh, coming from all nations in verses 4 through 6. And third, a celebration of God's salvation in verse 7. The theme is the city of God where all believers will come together one day. The author, again, as I said, the sons of Korah who were temple assistants. And it's a song that deals with Zion, the city of God. And it speaks of the wonderful future of Jerusalem. The nations will come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, the themes of this psalm unfold almost verse by verse. So we're going to look at the ideas as they unfold in order. So let's begin with Psalm 87, verses 1 and 2. And the psalmist says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So first we have the theme verses here in verses 1 and 2. The Lord loves the gate of Zion. Their point is that God has chosen and established Zion. So it would make sense that Zion can't be shaken, even though the whole world should gather against it. And you know, in Hebrews, it says that that, that we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. And only those who can't be shaken, will going to enter into that kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, Abraham is praised because he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And it's clear that it was a heavenly city rather than an earthly home that Abraham was looking for. So we learn right away that even in the Old Testament days, the greatest saints didn't set their affection on earthly Jerusalem alone, but loved it instead only as a symbol of the greater glory they knew they'd enjoy in heaven. We could say that believers today can love their local church in almost the same way. And you know what? you know, your church should mean something very special to you. It, it should be very precious to you. And you should pray for the welfare and the prosperity of your church. A lot of people complain about their church. They complain about their pastor. You want a better pastor, pray for him. You want a better church, pray for the church. You want better, whatever it is, pray for it. Don't complain about it. Pray for those things. Those are the things that God wants too. And if your heart and his heart are beating as one, guess what? He said, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Again, because those are the things that God wants as well. But the earthly things that we experience they're just a little taste of the heavenly and we should be looking from the earthly things to those invisible glories those wonderful things that will never pass away paul said in colossians 3 1 and 2 if then you were raised with christ seek those things which are above where christ is sitting at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on the things on earth we need to be more heavenly minded and less earthly bound. You know, we hold on to these things, you know, on earth as if we're going to be here forever. And if we can hold on as if we could hold on to them forever. Paul said you were raised with Christ. Therefore, seek, seek those things which are above. There are three factors that we see from Colossians 3, 1 and 2 about Jesus, our Savior. And the believer, they, you know, and they should give are given here with a a pattern that should encourage us, and it's a pattern of behavior. These three things that Paul points out or or mentions in Colossians 3, like I said, uh, uh, about Jesus our Savior and the believer, are given which encourage a pattern of behavior that is much higher than the standards of this world, if this world does have any standards at all. The world really doesn't have any standards. We read in Scripture that everybody does what's right in their own eyes. We read in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, only when it's too late does the deceived person find out that he's on that broad road, that broad way that leads to death. And Jesus said, there are many who go in by it. It's a wide road, and there's so many that take that road. And this suggests... Not that he was tricked. That is, that person who's on that wide road to destruction, they're not tricked. They they depended too heavenly on their own wisdom rather than humbly turning to God. First, Paul says, notice in in, in verse 1 of of Colossians 3, the word raised. It speaks of the power of Jesus. Jesus raises, sin lowers. Sin lowers, it brings discomfort, it brings deception. Sin does not lift us. Sin lowers standards, it lowers morals, and it lowers character. And Genesis, Genesis 3 records when sin entered into the world, and it records the fall of man, notice the fall of man, not the rise of man. Sin takes you down. Sin costs you. Listen how, to how many times, you know, when, when, when God told... Uh, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Jonah fled. Listen to what it says in Jonah chapter um, one there. It says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. To go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Had lain down and was fast asleep. And then in Jonah 2.16, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. Five or six times you hear Jonah going down, down, down. The further that he went away from the Lord. But the power of Jesus results in raising the soul from condemnation to a new life in Christ. So you see, if we have been raised with Christ, our behavior should follow. The power of Jesus Christ, who raised us in conversion, can also change our behavior. He can raise our behavior. Secondly, Paul said in verse 1 of Colossians 3, the place of Jesus. Notice the place of Jesus. We saw the power of Jesus because it says he was raised to the heavenlies. Paul said, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, the believer should be interested in things above. Heavenly things. Because we're citizens of heaven, we're not of this earth. Christians should be interested in things above. Heavenly things where Jesus is exalted and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, if the believer is busy seeking the things above, he won't be found doing the things below. He won't be caught up in the things of of below in behavior. The third thing that we see is the passion for Jesus. Paul speaks about in verse two of Colossians three. Notice he said, set your mind or affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Where are your affections? Where are your affections? Because where they are, that's where you are. Jesus said in Matthew 6:20, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? What are the things that draw you away? Because a person's affections will determine a person's behavior. You see, if a believer keeps his affections focused on Jesus Christ who is above, he won't be troubled by the corrupt things going on here below. Zion, which is the holy mountain of God, Jerusalem, and his temple here represent the future community of all believers. This psalm looks ahead to the holy city of God that we just got finished studying in Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 through 27. The honor of living there in the holy city of God will be given only to those whose names, the Bible says, are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know? Is your, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? If not, you need to know. And you need to get that, your name in the Lamb's book of life. It's God's grace that changes us. It's God's grace that shapes us. It's God's grace that sustains us in this wonderful community of believers. I mean, how could anyone reject God's offer to be, a, to be part of this wonderful celebration? Zion is another name for Jerusalem, the temple city. And, and it, it represents every place where people are united for worshiping And where worship is offered to God. Zion is still for us the spiritual name for God's house. Here's the main point. We should love God's house. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 84. We just looked at that a couple of weeks ago. When the psalmist said, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And that love. Should result in worship. Which shouldn't be surprising. But it is a surprise of humility and grace. That God should love our churches. And that God would find pleasure in our worship. Look at verse 3 now. The psalmist says glorious things are spoken of you O city of God. What can be said about Jerusalem the city of God. Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 48, 2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. We read in Psalm 132, 13 and 14, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. Notice what the Lord says in Isaiah 2, 2 through 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall, shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem wonderful things were being said about the city itself zion or jerusalem things that happened there had turned everybody's eyes towards it and everybody started to see that it's beautiful in elevation that it is the joy of the whole earth that's mount zion you see jerusalem or mount zion it was perfectly situated 2500 above sea, uh, feet above sea level the city was almost invincible And not far away was the intersection of the north, south, and east, west trade routes. Important for the economy and for communications. David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and this made Zion a holy mountain. Why? Because the Lord dwelt there. So Jerusalem became the city of God and the city of the great king. Now, the greatness of the city belongs to the Lord and not the city. You see, because it's his grace that the Lord chose Zion. The Jews saw Jerusalem as a beautiful city, a safe fortress, and the joy of the whole earth. Spiritually uh, spiritually speaking, the city has brought joy to to the whole earth. Because you see, outside its walls, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And from Jerusalem, the gospel of Jesus Christ was first heard. Jerusalem had its amazing hills, its cliffs, and its valleys, and the architectural magnificence of its temple, its palaces, and its towers. When we feel compassionate about a place or a person, you know, isn't it amazing what good things we can find about that person? The church building where we go to church, and where we worship, it might just be a really plain and ordinary building. But you see, if it proves to be the house of God to us. Man, we think it's the most beautiful building there is. We look at everything in the building as priceless to us. Why? Because we love God. And you know what? God meets us here and we meet him. Secondly, wonderful things were being said about the city of God. Remember the thinking in that day that the gods were limited to specific cities and countries. They were basically local gods. So strangers associated Jehovah with Jerusalem and the Israelites. And in recognizing the deliverance that came to them through Israel, they recognize it as the work of Israel's God. So if we people, I'm sorry, if people notice us, okay? If people notice us, that is for the right reasons, not because we're doing something, you know, corrupt or or defiling, but if people notice us for the right reasons, because we're an example of a Christian. If they, exa- if they notice our behavior, our zeal, our success, we should really be concerned that the wonderful things they say about us or they see in us should really be said of our God and about his grace in us. Because I have nothing in this flesh that's of any value. Paul said, hey, there's none that does good. Not one. They've all gone astray. Jesus said in Matthew 5 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So we are made to do good works. We've been called, we've been saved to do good works. But Jesus said, glorify your Father in heaven. Let them see the good in you. That is Christ. Let them see the good works that we do because of Christ. But you know what? Give God the glory. Not any man should be receiving glory. Verses four through six. The psalmist writes, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one was born in her. And the Most High Himself shall establish her. Verse 6. The Lord will record when He, reg- when he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Let me read it through the Living Translation. I will record Egypt and Babylon among those who know me. Also Philistia and Tyre and even far away Ethiopia. They have all become citizens of Jerusalem. And that will be said of Jerusalem, everyone has become a citizen here. And the Most High will personally bless this city. When the Lord registers the nations, he will say, this one has become a citizen of Jerusalem. The theme of these verses is Jews and Gentiles, both in Jesus' sheepfold. Jesus says both. The psalmist predicted that in the last days, the Gentile nations will join the sons and the daughters of Israel in acknowledging and worshiping the true God. And it's from this that the psalmist gets his vision of a true fellowship of nations and world peace. And to show what he means, the psalmist mentions five representative nations. First, Rahab. The psalm doesn't indicate what Rahab stands for, but other texts show that it was a name for Egypt. The great power south that was south of Israel. And the word itself, Rahab, means pride or ferocity. Second, Babylon. Babylon was the great power to the east. And since Babylon didn't rise in prominence until after the decline of Assyria, this reference probably dates the psalm from the time of the later kings of Judah, maybe even during the reign of Hezekiah. The third name that uh, the psalmist mentions here is Philistia. The first two names pointed out or pointed to major world powers. The first to the south, the second to the east. Now, Felicia was closer. It was was more of an immediate threat. It was located to the west. Fourth, Tyre was mentioned. Tyre was a powerful community to the north. With these four names, all directions, north, east, south, and west are covered. And then fifth, Ethiopia, also known as Cush. Ethiopia often used often used to represent a faraway nation. So in a very short space, the psalmist shows that in the day of God's future blessing of all the nations of the world or representing all the nations of the world will come to know and praise the true and living God. When you read this, it makes you think of the day of Pentecost. After Jesus resurrected and of how God started drawing people from different back backgrounds and races to faith in Jesus Christ on that occasion, Pentecost. The names of the nations had changed from the psalmist's day. But you know what? Many from all the directions are mentioned in, in Pentecost. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome... Uh, Cretans and Arabs. So the vision of Gentiles and Jews together, knowing and praising God is seen often in the New Testament. You know, it's found in Romans and Ephesians and Hebrews and Revelation and in other less passages in the Bible. So when we see the similarity between this Psalm and the Christian church, one of the ancient writers said this, this is the glory of the church that into her, the fullness of the nation shall enter the proud from Egypt, who for her haughtiness is called Rahab. The worldly from Babylon, the city of confusion. Tyre, the rich city of the traitors and the slaves of ignorance from Ethiopia and from the land of Ham. Now, we don't see all these people yet of the world bowing thankfully in submission to Jesus Christ. But one day we will. Because the Bible says one day every tongue shall confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we do have a prediction about this in the joy and the wonderful unity of purpose the people of God have within the fellowship of the church of Christ. Two things are said about those who will be brought to the worship of God in the days that the psalmist foresees here. Number one is the people will acknowledge God. And the word acknowledge in verse 4 or know is a translation of the Hebrew word yada, which has a a rich variety of meanings. It can mean know, acknowledge, understand, be sure, know about, experience, and there's other variations. But here, it means more than just admitting that there's such a God as Jehovah. It means more than even acknowledging Him as the one true God. It means coming to Him in a saving relationship, knowing Him experientially. It means coming to Him in a saving relationship, bowing before Him and seeking to know Him better. We should always have a desire to know Jesus better. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said that he wanted to know Christ and he wanted to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now this, you know, I've mentioned this several times over the last week or so because it's come up about knowing Christ. Now think about it. Paul, I think there's probably no no disciple in the Scriptures that knew Jesus Christ better than Paul. Paul had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when Paul said this, that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, he said this at the end of his life. Which kind of infers you can't know Jesus enough. We need to to, to know Him and get to know Him more and more till the day we die. That should be our, our, our goal as a believer, to know Him, as Paul said, and the power is resurrection. I want to know Him intimately. I want to know Him personally. So, again, it's exactly... What Jesus meant when he said in the prayer in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So to those who think of themselves as being wise or strong or rich. These groups, these five groups, uh, uh, nations that were mentioned here, suggested by names, Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Ethiopia We say with Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God says, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. The greatest blessing that any person or nation can receive is that those involved might know and worship God. These verses also tell us that the people will be born again. The second, the second thing that's recorded about the nations mentioned in four through six is that it will be said of them: "This one, notice, was born there in Zion, and this one that was born there in her." In verse five. And since this is repeated three times in such a short psalm, it's clear that it's very important. And always, you know, remember that when, when, when you see something repeated over and over again or several times in the Scripture, it's because God wants to get through to us. He wants us to see this is important. But what does it mean? Well, it can't mean that all the people of the world will one day literally be born in Jerusalem. It can only mean that it will be the official records as if they had been born. They're meaning that they'll be given the standing of true citizens. As one man says, more than submission is involved. Even though the New Testament doctrine of the new birth doesn't appear clearly in the Old Testament, the expression here used surely implies some deeper kind of transformation that's to take place. These people will be natives in the sense of native born Maybe even more than this, because you see, if the vision of this psalm is being fulfilled in the church, which it might be, then being born again is exactly what's involved and necessary. Being born in Zion is to become a spiritual Jew. In other words, a member of the people of God. And this is exactly what the new birth suggests, that we are new people of God. We can become members of the heavenly city. And then here's a a confirming piece of evidence in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Bible, verse five here, which Paul knew and from which he often draws in his letters, the additional word mother appears, which gives the sense used by the new English Bible's translation and Zion, that, that Zion shall be called a mother in whom men of every race are born. This also lies behind what Paul said in Galatians 4.26 when he said, The Jerusalem above, which is the mother of all of us. Which means that he understood this psalm as pointing to spiritual birth. Now verse 7. He said, Both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs are in you. Now verse 7 is short, but it's sweet. And it's regarding those who have been born again and who praise God for being born again. Singing here, all my springs, all my fountains, Lord, are in you. This beautiful picture is repeated everywhere. It's found in Psalm 46, 4, where we read, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Or Ezekiel 47, 1, describing water flowing from under the threshold of the heavenly temple, which became a great river of blessing. Remember, it started ankle deep and went knee deep, and then it went to where you had to swim in it. What all of these references are saying is that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. All that we are or hope to be, all that we have or ever hope to have, all that we get or ever hope to get, it's from Him. It comes from God. And the people of God acknowledge this. And they praise him for For whatever I have. It comes from him. Do you do that? Do you know that all that you have comes from him? And do you acknowledge it and do you praise him for it? Do you do that? Or do you take credit for what you have or what you've accomplished yourself? if you acknowledge that all of your springs or all of your fountains are in God, and they really are, then you know what? You'll have joy in your salvation because you know it wasn't you. And you'll be encouraged to keep on serving God. Why? Because you know that He's the one who will sustain you. You know, when serving God, a lot of times it's difficult, it's a long, tough road, but you know what? He's the one who sustains you. And you know, in in whatever areas are in in your life, through a, a, a difficult trial or circumstance or something that you're going to, he's the one who's going to sustain you through it. Paul said that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And you know what? God's grace has never failed. And God's grace will never fail. Because it comes from a never-ending supply of the infinite and eternally merciful, gracious God. He's, he's a grace-giving God. And we are eternally blessed if we know, worship, and serve Him. The psalmist said, all my fresh springs shall be in Thee. All my wellsprings springs of delight are singing aloud like, an instrument, like instrument players because of Thee. Or literally in thee the springs that are mentioned here are, are evidently are springs of gladness and the verse is best given like this both they that sing and dance all my fountains of delight are in thee and and with this is the meaning every source of pleasure that is song music dancing and so on was to be found in zion see the psalmist here is praising zion the the, the, you know, the the city of David, Jerusalem, all the names of, of, of Jerusalem. The psalmist is praising Zion. He's not directly praising God. So you see, his figures are clearly taken from the pleasures of the holy city of Zion, especially of the sacred temple and its services. And remember that David had devoted intelligence and skill to the improvement of worship. He made instruments for worship. He, he appointed skillful players and, and, and singers to improve worship. He introduced music and poetry until the old, you know, the old gloomy ritual of Moses had become glorified. The joy of, God, of serving God every day You know what? It should be illustrated. It should be demonstrated by by a brightness in our life and an attractiveness and a godly joy here in, in the sanctuary and outside. We should feel that it must be a joy to serve God all the time because it's such an obvious joy to serve the Lord. There's joy in worshiping God. There's joy in everyday life. There's joy in what God has done for us and what he will do for us. That what he's done for us in the past is a a picture of what he'll do for us in the future. There's joy in what God is doing for us now. Because there's joy in God himself. You see, it's. Emphasize. Emphasize. We need to emphasize that. True religion, if you will, that is a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, it can't be gloomy. It can't be depressing. It's an atmosphere of trust, it's an atmosphere of gladness. I love the, the first four verses of Psalm 100 because this is what it says Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Notice, serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. Come before His presence with singing, not complaining. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Notice, enter into His gates with what? Thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. And be thankful to Him and bless His name. We will be sad if we look around at this world. And see what's going on. And we'll be sad if we're always looking down. Or inwardly at at how we are. But you know what? We'll never be sad if we look up. Looking unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can always find fresh flowing springs of joy in God. And in this world. Of which God is for us. Father we thank you so much for this psalm Lord. We thank you for your word. Father we thank you for being. Such a wonderful grace giving God. And Lord we thank you that your grace never fails God. And that your mercy endures forever. Because Lord we need mercy every single day God. We need to come to you based on your mercy. Not on my goodness or or my accomplish, accomplishments or my achievements, achievements, Lord. But based on your goodness. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the cross. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is your greatest need in life. Your greatest need. And we do pray that God's word, his spirit has spoken to your heart. And the worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And this is your time. Between you and God. If God has spoken to your heart and you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.